What's going on, everybody? This is I, the homie, the one and only Ashton Reynolds, and welcome to another edition of Millennial Talk 2.0, Blessed Coast Edition. So great to be back here once again. It is definitely an honor to be interviewing such a magnificent woman who is definitely doing her thing in the community because she is all she is all about education, economics, and just basically making Georgia a great place to live in in every aspect. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, because I know we have an hour, but I want to go ahead and make sure that you all understand exactly who it is that I am interviewing. She has done so much within the community and also running for the Senate seat in the upcoming election. So without further ado, I introduce to you the one and only Ms. Valencia Stovall. How you doing today? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Ashton. Oh, this, this is an honor for me. Thank you for being a part of this right here. So before we get started, I always like to ask my guests to describe themselves in their own words because the accolades and achievements that you have gotten thus far, you know, that could just be one description of how people think of you. But in your words, who is Valencia Stovall? Well, um, I am a mother of two adult children, and I don't know if you still say children when they become adults. Um, <laughs> I was born and raised in Southeast Atlanta. I moved to Clayton County in 2006. Uh, I'm a small business owner for over 30 years, community advocate, uh, been a state representative uh, for, eight, for the past eight years, um, serving the Clayton County um, area. And one word I would use to um, describe myself uh, will be impactful. Um, just mm. about everything that I've done um, for serving the community, it's always been my goal to be impactful and to leave my community better than when I found it. That's awesome right there. Was that something that you always aspired to do? Yes. Um, growing up in uh, Southeast Atlanta, uh, my dad was very, uh, very active in the community. And uh, my sister, my two sisters and I always followed him around. Many people asked, how did you get involved in the political arena? And it was through my dad's involvement in the community with the several campaigns that he worked on. And watching him as a community leader uh, as well uh, influenced me and also with my sister to be impactful with whatever we were doing. Always thinking about the people um, that we want to serve, whether, you know, wasn't even thinking about an elected office even when I moved to Clayton County, but was involved at my children's school. Um, my son was at Morrow High School. My daughter was at uh, Morrow Middle School and later transferred, of course, to um, matriculate to Forest Park High School. But even at of those schools, uh, being involved in making sure that the students had what they need, the teachers and the community overall. That's awesome right there. So for those who aspire to be active in the community and the magnitude that you have. What are some words of encouragement that you would like to leave with them right now? Um, definitely find something that you're passionate about. Uh, find those things that just come to you naturally. And mm -hmm. you know, God has given all of us a natural, several natural talents and, um, and gifts for us to use while we're here um, on earth. And so uh, I would definitely encourage our, the youth and young adults uh, to find out what you're good at doing. And then also look for how do you find a solution to a problem that you see using your talents. 
I'm glad you said that right there. See, everybody that is listening, she had kind of skimmed over who she is as far as like in the entrepreneurial area and being active into the community. I'm gonna give y'all a little bit of scoop inside of exactly who it is that you see on the screen today. People, she has a diverse background in finance, entrepreneurship, and public policy. So let us just further know that she is really equipped to handle anything that she puts her mind to. And she also co-founded Stovall's T-shirts that's been running for over 30 plus years. That is awesome right there. And just knowing that about you, that's inspiring to me as an up and coming entrepreneur. So what is it that allowed you, like what, what kind of intangibles do you possess to be able to be such a long-standing entrepreneur? Uh, well, definitely faith is always uh, number one. Mm -hmm. And um, and knowing that your name means everything um, to you, um, even though with the business, we downsized that I is now Val Promotions, which I've taken over um, that part of it, uh, but still have committed customers that still come uh, to get our services, even after 30 years of them doing service, doing um, services with us. So your name means everything and making sure that you uh, are going to deliver on quality uh, work, your workmanship. And when you give a deadline, making sure that you're meeting it. When you're not, you're giving your word that you can't meet it. So all those are small qualities, but they um, are very important for when you talk about long-term um, in a business, long-term, even as an elected official, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I had, you know, when I give, <clears throat> excuse me, when I give my word on, um, on legislation that I'm going to push or uh, events or community events I'm going to attend, and I don't and I don't show up, then that's my word. So I have to make sure that I'm following through. So I've just carried those same qualities I had as a, a small business owner into the political arena and definitely looking forward to carrying it up to Washington, D.C. Um, as a U.S. Um, US senator. That's awesome right there. I had to ask that question because especially during these times now with the pandemic, a lot of people have been expressing their entrepreneurial goals and just been talking about starting their own business. So I thank you for dropping those gems of carrying yourself with integrity because your name is the most valuable thing that you have. Since you had mentioned jumping into the political arena, uh, I see that in 2012, you was elected into the Georgia House of Representatives seat. Can you tell the people about that experience? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, like I said, I moved to Clayton County in 2006. Um, we actually had two business locations in Clayton County. Um, and so, like I said, never thinking about running for any uh, political office. I just wanted to run my business, be involved in the community, and that was it. Mm -hmm. In um, 2012, the state representative position became open. The um, individual who had the seat decided to run for another seat. And so um, we talked as a family and um, he said, okay, we'll go for it. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm so kind of busy. My dad said, you're not doing anything. Go ahead <laughs> um, and run. If you win, that's, that's good. If you don't win, at least you can have an experience that you ran, you know, ran the campaign. So we were successful um, when we ran and been, been there for, uh, for eight years. And so even looking at the, um, that durability uh, for being there, being very effective, being able to work across the aisle, 
uh, with both Republicans and Democrats to pass meaningful legislation uh, that have worked to improve the lives of all Georgians. And so taking at that and kind of looking at that a lot of the issues that we are facing um, here in the state of Georgia, we've been putting bandages on these issues. And uh, the real solution has to come from Washington, D.C. We can see what has happened during the pandemic uh, where we're really depending on those policies and that uh, those funds coming down from D.C. And they see that they're not concerned about the needs of the, of the people that really need uh, for those policies to be in place and those funds to come down. So that's when I decided that um, in um, February, actually in March, decided that I would uh, take my 30 years of experience as a small business community advocate and eight years of legislative experience and uh, run as an independent for the U.S. Senate seat uh, for Washington, D.C. Congratulations on taking that initiative right there. And it's quite awesome that you had said that after conversating with your family, they were the ones who had given you that support because you was like, nah, I'm just going to be a, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to be a community leader. I've got so much going on. That is awesome right there. Now, some of the policies that you have um, orchestrated was you had authored legislation to reform Georgia's education formula. You have instrumented uh, the development of a house study committee to support Georgia farmers for revitalized for revitalizing the Atlanta farmers market. Were those some policies that you already had in mind going into office, or was that something that came about as a result of being in office? Well, those came about as a result of being in office. Of course, you know, anytime we're dealing with, with businesses, that's always been before going into office. I knew that because the small businesses are a backbone of our communities of our mm -hmm. state, you know, here, even in the United States. And small businesses are the ones, are the businesses are entities that hire majority of the people that are working today. And mm -hmm. so making sure that we don't have too much red tape, the businesses are able to open up and operate was, you know, of course, on my platform. Um, education was also on my platform. Um, voter empowerment into, uh, into office. And then once you get in there, you see where you could be able to uh, maximize or enhance those things that you're already working on. And then you get in to find out there's a lot of other things that are going on that you never had any idea of because it just was not in your purview. And then because you never had to represent certain constituents in an in a area that brought those problems or situations to you as a legislator, seeking a resolve and wanting you to do what you can do using your voice or using my voice as a state representative to make to magnify those issues and then work with my colleagues to try to come up with a solution. Now, you are known for definitely being a strong-willed, strong-minded individual who doesn't back down from confrontation as far as some pushback on certain policies. How important is it to actually have that intangible while holding an office position? It's very important. Uh, and one decision is why I've decided to run as an independent. Um, I'm currently am an elected Democrat um, that represented mm -hmm. my district. I've done it for eight years. But I decided that when I go to Washington, D.C., I want to run as a, and be an independent thinker, which I've always been, even at the state capitol. And, uh, and it's very challenging because you have the partisanship that takes place, Democrats and Republicans, and many times leadership will dictate what bills uh, and how the votes are supposed to go 
when you're part of that particular party. Whether you believe or your constituents believe that it should not go that way. And when you don't fall in line with what partisan or uh, what each party leadership says, you're ostracized. You're talked about, you're name, called names, uh, you're undercover Republican or you're undercover Democrat. Wow. And so all these things, uh, you know, you get a hazing down at yeah. the state capitol. Uh, <laughs> and so, but because I believe in what I believe in and my stance on education, um, I knew that parents and students should have a choice in what kind of education system that they're in. And it should not be left up to the government to tell me my child has to go to this school because I'm zoned in that school and that school is not performing well. And my child matures at a different level. And so I should have that choice. If I want to go there for a little while, I want to go to another school setting or another one, that should be my choice. I'm a taxpayer. That's my money that I pay into the system. But then you're going to bound me into having to just go to one particular school. And then when the resources are not there, the uh, transparency and accountability is not there, uh, then I'm stuck to I don't have any choice. We let, we let the um, students at 18 choose what college they're going to go to, whether it's going to be a private college or a public college. And we use taxpayer money through financial aid to pay for your uh, higher or post-secondary education. But when it comes to zero to 12, no, you can't use public money to do anything, whether you want to go to private school or homeschool or anything outside of the uh, non-traditional setting. Wow. <laughs> I love that right there because I definitely agree. Me and my friends, we definitely have had some conversations on about that subject right there. For those who are just tuning in now, this is WCEG Talk Radio, the Worldwide Community Empowerment Group. This is the homie, the one and only Ashton Reynolds, the host of the Millennial Talk 2.0 Blessed Coast Edition. And I am here with Valencia Stovall, who is running for U.S. Senate in the upcoming election. So now you get to hear exactly who it is. And I always thought that it was very important for people to know exactly who they are voting for. So I thank you for taking the initiative to join in Millennial Talk 2.0 Blessed Coast Edition today. Thank you for the invite. Oh, it's anytime, <laughs> anytime. <laughs> so for those who are just tuning in, we were just having a conversation about education. And just to show you even more how serious she is about education and how she takes it so serious, she has brought over 3,000 state officials, parents, community leaders, students, et cetera, to the state capitol to design future policies for furthering education. How important is it for a relationship with the citizens and the community leaders to be strong as in when you're creating policies? Um, we can't operate as elected officials without our constituents, the people who elected us to go, um, whether it's at the state capitol here in Georgia or to Washington, D.C., to represent them. We're their voice. We're their one voice that's magnified. Uh, you know, to make sure that we are listening to what they're saying the issues are. We can't be everywhere. And I tell everyone, I don't know everything, but what I know, <laughs> I know very well, but That's I don't right. know everything. And so I have to be open to to listen to what those needs are, what the situations are, and being able to use my position to be able to find those solutions. And that's why people elect uh, elected officials to go in and to um, change and make, um, make policies better. With the Educate Georgia Summit, we did it for three years. 
And um, because we wanted to hear from what the students had to say as well. So we had students, parents, all of them coming together. One significant thing when I talked about uh, working across the aisle, because of my stance on education, I've been able to have a good repertoire with my Republicans, uh, Republican um, colleagues. And one particular thing is that with the Educate Georgia Summit, Governor Deal, uh, who was a Republican governor, was my keynote speaker for all three years. Uh, we had the uh, Speaker of the House um, that was there as a speaker. We had the state superintendent to come as a speaker. We had both House and Senate chairmen and our school board, uh, state school board chairman on the panel talking about um, what we want the future of education to be. And we had people coming from all over the state, even had people coming from out of town because education and other issues are not partisan issues. They're not Democratic issues. They're not Republican issues. They're people issues. And that's what I'm going to be focusing on as the next U.S. Senator, people issues and finding those solutions to people's issues. So it's very important for the community to be involved and don't just let it stop at you just voting. Get engaged with your elected official. Find out what they're doing. Let them know what your interests are, because who knows, they might have come across a project or something that they're thinking about implementing, but nobody has ever said anything, so they kind of push it to the side. I loved how you have such a heart to serve because I feel that's one top quality that demonstrates your leadership ability. Being able to serve the community and listen to the community because that's who knows what's needed. Mm -hmm. And just for you to have that heart and that mentality that it takes all of us to make this, make a better tomorrow come into fruition today, that is awesome. So with that being said, Upon being elected senator, what are some plans that you would like to implement? Since we are a youth arena show, particularly for the age groups of 13, 13 through 30, what are some plans that you would like to implement? All right. So I have three areas that, uh, you know, there are many issues. And so what I've learned, even as a state representative, you have to kind of narrow down and, and get a focus on what you're going to uh, plan on doing. That way you're effective and you're not just everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, so three areas. One is economic opportunity. Up under that is transforming our education system, which is 100 years old. It's antiquated. And as we've seen with the uh, coronavirus, that many of our traditional schools were thrown into distance learning. And mm -hmm. it's been stressful from the administrators to the teachers, to the parents, and to the students, and even to the community members that, you know, have to even help and assist um, with the distance learning. And so that should never have been. We should have already in the state of Georgia been having a more virtual um, uh, virtual options, um, hybrid options for our students. Um, also, each high school student, when they graduate from a high school, they should graduate with a certification in, some, in, a, in a trade of their choice. And um, that way that lets them get right into the workforce. If they decide to do higher education, that's fine. That cuts down on the amount of student debt. We already had a dual enrollment program. We have many college and career academies. So being able to help support uh, with that. Uh, also supporting our small business growth falls upon the economic opportunity. Uh, making sure that uh, reclassifying our small businesses, right now it's 500 employees or less. But we have micro small businesses that were not able to participate with the SBA loan like they should have been. And these were the ones that are on the ground floor in our communities hiring they had to lay many people off or never going to even open their businesses back up. 
So by reclassifying that allows for any funds that are allocated to that category of small business, it'll be small business and micro small businesses. So they can be able to help our business um, to flourish. Um, of course, when you talk about government efficiency, that's very, very key. We see a lot that's going on now where our government is not being efficient from the federal government bringing down the information to the state and then to the local. So ensuring that we have a, a government that is fiscally sound. Up under that, of course, you have health care needs that are, uh, that are in place that are needed. Um, you have infrastructure um, issues that are needed, um, and, and especially justice reform. All of that falls upon that government efficiency. Um, lastly, is global stewardship. We can't be an island by ourselves here in America. We don't possess all of the resources that are needed uh, to be able to just fully function. And we have to modernize our global trade programs and sustainable environmental practices as well. And that's why I know a lot of the young people are looking at, you know, when I become fully grown or 10 or 20 years, how is this environment gonna be a conducive to us? You look at what's happening in California with those fires, you know, that's affecting the, our uh, environment, the ozone level and layers and everything. So making sure that we're global stewardships and that we're able to have good international relationships mean it's gonna be very, very important. That is amazing right there. And that's a lot of work. <laughs> that, that is a lot of work. And as we stated before, it definitely takes unity and us working together as a cohesive unit to make that come about. Now, for those individuals out there, such as myself, a young individual who really aspires to also utilize our gifts to help contribute to that change and make a society better, what, what words of encouragement or what uh, direction should we go into in order to take public office? Yes. Um, first of all is starting locally. Everything is local. And when I say everything is local, that means the impact that you're going to have in your community is coming going to come from your city council, your mayor, and your commissioners, your school board, um, your judges, all of those that are elected locally. Um, and then, of course, on the state level where I am, but if you start locally attending your city council meetings, I know now most of them are doing virtual. So it's really nothing to be able to go on that website and look up and find out when those meetings are. And then find an area or something that you're concerned about in your community that you live in that you would like to see change. Or if you have a business that's somewhere, it might be something in your um, business area that you want to see change. And you start locally by, first of all, identifying who your elected officials are. Give them a phone call, set up a meeting with them, and let them kind of hear from them what their point of view are, what they've been doing, if they've been in office, and then you also input in what you would like to see change um, in that particular community. Um, it starts with that, and then that way if you see something that that elected official is not doing, and you feel like you may be able to do, be do better, you find your coalition of a group of others that think just like you, and you all start attending those meetings, ask those questions, and getting involved. First of all, you got to be registered to vote. And so the <laughs> deadline for registering to vote for this gen, um, general election is going to be October the 5th. So you can't get involved because one thing I always tell my constituents and then whenever I'm talking to, especially our younger youth and young adults, is that when you talk to elected officials and you say, well, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. And we usually ask, well, what's your name or where you live? What's your address? 
when we go into a database and we look at where what your name is and where you live, we could check and see how many times you vote. Do you just vote every four years for the for the presidential election, or are you an active uh, active voter? And what that does, that tells us how we're going to engage with you and on what level and to what extent. So if you're an active voter, that means that you can determine whether I'm going to be reelected or not. So I'm going to answer your calls. I'm going to talk with you and get you engaged. If you're every four-year voter, I'm going to give you a call back because you are a voter, but you're not going to get as much engagement as you think that you, as you should just because of your level of participation in the voting process. So that's why it's very important uh, to make sure that you are registered and that you're voting and making sure that you're um, investigating on the candidates to see who they are. And the most important thing I can say that even being in this elected position is, you know, the more that I'm able to meet my constituents, the better off I'm able to serve them because what happens, those people that, that contact me the most, that's where their attention is going to go. It's just like a mother. If a baby is crying and the other baby, if you have two children, one is crying all the time, the other is not really crying, you're not going to really pay, you know, not cater to that one that's not crying that much because you said they okay. The one that's crying, you're gonna, the mother's going to go over and tell that same thing as elected official. Those constituents that are always say, hey, we need you to be here. We need this. We need that. Those are the ones that are going to get the attention. And what ends up happening, Ashton, is that that is just one particular point of view or those are just one particular issue you might have other issues that are going on but because nobody's saying anything we don't know as elected official that that's an issue so getting involved starting off and then that way you learn what's the what's the game you learn what policies are how policies are made up also another thing i like to recommend uh, to the youth and young adults each one of the cities and counties they have boards different types of boards that they appoint um, citizens to be on. That's another good way to find out what's the inside going on in these cities and in the counties um, as well. So those are some just some general recommendations I definitely would make to you all when you want to get involved in the political arena. I receive all of that. <laughs> <laughs> now on that journey into entering into the political arena, because right after I asked this question right here, we're going to go into the importance of voting because you said a key fact right there that even I didn't know. Now, mm -hmm. upon entering into the political arena, is it important to have qualified mentors along this path? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, when you're able to have mentors of those who already served or have worked with people that's already served, it helps you to avoid a lot of landmines that unnecessary landmines. You're going to cross some landmines because you don't know everything and you're not your ears can't be everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. But those things that you're able to um, to avoid is very important. I know that um, once I got elected, um, I did know some people that were already uh, elected before me who my daddy had helped to get elected down at the state capitol. So I didn't go in as just somebody that didn't know anybody or couldn't go and ask questions. So there were a couple of uh, legislators that I kind of cling to a lot more um, that were kind of on this, my same mind frame of what, what I was thinking and that I had to trust that whatever information they gave me was going to be the right information. And so I have mentors that I uh, contact and still contact even now after eight years. And then as new people were elected into the state house, I would go and talk to uh, many of them and say, hey, this is what this, this is how this happens. 
this is what this goes here. This is what happened because I knew how I felt going in. And I'm always like that, you know, whatever I can do to help support someone else to make it better than what, what happened with me, I'm always, um, you know, doing that. So definitely, you know, if it's any campaign, y'all want to come and, and work with me on my campaign. We have about 51 days left um, in the campaign. And you want to ask questions, hey, how do you do this? How do you come up? You know, it's open because I'm not going to be an elected official forever. Um, just like I decided to leave after eight years, I don't think you should stay in one place forever because sometimes you can stay too long and then that spark and that fire that you have start dwindling down and then you're really not able to maximize and serve the people um, as you should, um, you know, to a certain extent. And that's just my own, uh, for my own, that's the goals I set for myself. Other people might not feel like that, um, but that's the goal that I set for myself. I admire the fact that you have this mindset to constantly elevate to keep that fire burning and also increase your position of influence as well as you continue to rise in the political arena and the fact that you are tangible and willing to give out in, uh, information as well as inspiration to upcoming uh, political figures. That's awesome. And I'm glad that I know that too, because uh, be on the lookout for a message from Ashton Reynolds, because I right. will definitely love to uh, be a part of that mentorship. So I definitely admire that about you as well. Now let's shift yeah, one, back to- One other thing oh, I ahead. did want to say, Ashton, if I could, um, is that I, you know, as an elected official, we have a duty to make sure that we're helping the next generation. And mm -hmm. when we don't do our part as far as making sure you are equipped with as much knowledge as you can. And mm -hmm. then what happens is when you become, when you all become an elected official and you don't know, then even we end up suffering or the community end up suffering because there's a lot more knowledge you could have known or better wisdom or decisions you could have made had we been able to share a lot of information of, of pitfalls that we went through, those things that were successful and those things that were not successful. Not saying it's gonna be the same thing that happened to you, but at least you will have on your radar that, oh, I remember Representative Stovall said, watch out for this, or this worked good for her, so I might use that and to make it even better. So basically what you're saying is it's important today for that generational bridging of the gap to take place. Yes. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome right there. I hope you all are, that are listening, the young people that are listening around my age, even younger, listen. Because listening is definitely a fundamental skill that a lot of people do not utilize because I'll be honest, feel like we know everything. Once right. we get some information, we feel like we know everything or there are some things that you haven't been through that we're experiencing now, not knowing that, hey, I've been there, done that. Right. So I thank you for sharing that. Now, back to that point that you made about voting, how you all can look that up and say, oh, he only votes every four years. That's something that I never knew about. So for those individuals who basically think that voting is obsolete, like the government is not gonna to listen to us anyway, so why vote? What, are, what do you have to say to those who think that way? Well, I, I, the question I would have for them or, or, or a thought pattern for them is that if you like everything that happened during the pandemic that we are going through now, then don't vote. Uh, and it's real simple because everything that, that has happened with the pandemic from the time that um, the, the president and the cabinet were informed about it 
all the way up to now where we're still waiting. Uh, evictions are, are pending. People are waiting for additional stimulus check. Unemployment claims have not been processed. All of those are policies. All of those are driven, those decisions are driven by policies and those that are elected into office today to service you. So if you find with everything that happened during the pandemic, you weren't affected, nobody you know were, were affected, then keep on not voting. But if you were affected, even if it was a small level of a, you being affected, if your job cut your hours, if you were uh, laid off, um, if you knew a small business that you were always going to visit and patronize and they told you they had to cut their hours back or they're no longer going to be open um, in school if you're in college and they all of a sudden told you to come to the school, get all your stuff and you had one day to go pack up all your belongings at the college or now you're going back, you have to do distance learning. All of those are related to policies that help uh, the testing, all of that. And so you want to elect uh, people that's going to be lined up as close to what your values are. Nobody's going to match 100%. You're not going to match 100% with any elected official. But what you do is look at those qualities that that elected official have in their experience, and then you match them up to, okay, yeah, I can agree with this person on this. We might not agree on this, but I know it's somebody that is open to listen. And that's been my success at the state capitol. I don't agree with both everything on the Democratic side, on the Republican side, but I'm able to listen. And one thing about it, when you find out you're able to compromise on those areas that are not going to hurt your, um, your moral values, and you're able to sit down and talk, that opens the door for other conversations. And then they're not so um, contentious, contentious uh, when you're having a conversation. But when you never talk to anybody, and you all of a sudden want to have a like we're talking about race relations. You all of a sudden yes. want to have a conversation about race relations. You never talk to your white colleague on that level. Then now you want to go talk. There's already going to be some friction there. One of the things I was able to do, and like I said, being at the state capitol, I have what we call seatmates that sit right next uh, to me. And when this whole issue came up about George Floyd, and it was so much racial tension that's going on, even now, but it was at the real high peak at that time, um, mm -hmm. doing with COVID-19. Um, I talked with, reached out to them and asked them, will you all join me on a town hall? I want to talk about race relations. I said, because I'm going to talk about it from a black person's st standpoint. I want you all to talk about it from a white person's standpoint. And both of us are, are elected officials, so we're leaders uh, in our community. And they agreed. And so if anybody, you know, if you go back through um, the Facebook uh, page story uh, line, you'll be able to see that actual recording that we did Facebook Live on race relations. And we got into some real deep conversations. They weren't offended by the things I said. I wasn't offended by the things that they said, but that starts a conversation. That's why I definitely brought that issue up. So having these conversations where you are not only addressing, but undressing situations um, in, a, in a place where you have both the African-Americans and the Caucasian communities, and you are able to have con candid, con transparent conversations. How important is that inside of the communities? Because inside of the communities, they don't even think that those conversations are going on inside of the offices. And if they don't feel that way, then inside of the communities, they feel like this void of saying, hey, they don't understand. 
how important is it to have that those conversations within the community amongst themselves so when policies come that reflect the change that they want seen, they're able to receive it even better. Uh, it's very important. And that goes back to what I talked about earlier about being involved, uh, making sure you are, uh, are researching your candidates um, that are running because you want a candidate that's gonna be open-minded because one thing about it, I, I, I represent all of my uh, constituents. It doesn't matter whether they voted for me or not. Once I'm elected, everybody in my district is my constituent. Everybody across the state, to a certain extent, are my constituents. Because when I go to the state capitol, I'm not just voting on stuff locally. I'm voting on statewide issues that affect everyone. So right. it's very important. And I knew that as leaders, if we're going to lead, it was important to have that race relations uh, conversation so that it would trickle down to other community people that could say, well, wow. If those legislators, those four legislators can have a, a candid conversation, then why can't we in the community have a candid conversation and work towards solutions? We're not just talking. We talked about some solutions that we thought that might be able to be uh, workable on policies. But when you talk about locally, it's no reason for the uh, local city council mayors and county commissioners and uh, school board members to not have those same conversations because they are really more affected by those conversations that we are on the state level, because I live in Clayton County, they lived in Forsyth and Cherokee County. So mm. we were totally different from each other. All the time we, we see each other when we come to the Capitol or we are talk in between, but our communities were far apart. I love hearing this mindset and this whole thing about having unity and walking as one and togetherness and having everybody's opinions um, and input going into you helping making the policies or actually, you know, help guiding the moves and planning the strategies that you want to have implemented inside of the community. And it's also been recognized as well as you are also the recipient of the National Council of State Legislators Award as a woman in politics making a difference. How was it receiving that award? Um, it was early on in my political um, political career, and it was very exciting because to know that other people are watching you outside of your immediate community really means a lot. And that means that they are watching what you're doing, and they are appreciative of what you're doing. And to be able to, to get that award, and actually that was the first awards that they, that, um, they had ever um, actually given out. So I was a part of a historical part with that. Being, um, being a part of the first round of those women in politics that were making a difference. That is amazing right there. And for those who are watching here, this is the Millennial Talk 2.0 Blessed Coast Edition with the host Ashton Reynolds and my very special guest, Valencia Stovall, who is running for the Senate seat in the upcoming election. She has a plethora of accomplishments and things of that nature. So I just want to read a little few just to uh, brag on you just a little bit if you don't <laughs> mind. <laughs> so as I just stated before, you are a recipient of the National Council of State Legislatures as a woman in politics making a difference. You also were a recipient of the Andrew Young School of Policy Legislator Health Certificate. And also you have authored and passed legislation for video cameras uh, being inputted in special needs students' classrooms. Now, that's very important. Can you talk about how did that come about? 
Um, yeah, so I was at a parent summit and um, Lala Dotson, who's the uh, parent, um, approached me after the meeting and said, I've had an issue with my son. Um, he's uh, special needs, he's autistic, he can't uh, verbally communicate. And he mm -hmm. ended up having a scratch on the side of his face that was a vertical scratch. It wasn't just a, you know, a scratch like that. So she talked to me about it. She said, I think that we need cameras in classroom. She had already done her research to know that Georgia didn't have any laws for that. She knew mm -hmm. that Texas had um, it had started working on some legislation for that. And so long story short, we got together. Uh, we, she had issues that had special needs students and we came together and worked together to put the legislation together. I worked with uh, one of the um, youth organizations uh, at the Capitol, uh, Voices for Children, uh, worked with them and uh, couple of one of the other lobbyists who was very effective. And we worked on it for a year. It took us a year to get the bill through the whole process. And then it was signed into law in 2016 by, uh, by Governor Deal. Um, and that bill um, is House Bill 614 and it's called the Landon Dunson Act, and it was named after Lala's um, son, Landon. That is incredible right there. And just to, you know, brag on you some more, you have also co-authored legislation for teacher loan forgiveness and overhaul for charter school funding and state education funding as a whole. Like, that is amazing right there. Like, <laughs> Oh, my, my mind is blown when I had read that and it was like, yo, you were a part of that. Like, what is that process like when you're coming together with your constituents to create um, new policies? Well, it's very rewarding uh, to, to think of an idea just like with Lala. It started with an idea and then to watch it go through the whole entire process. And it's a learning process. That was my first bill um, I ever uh, passed um, down at the state capitol. So I had to learn along the way uh, with them, but having good support and people believing in and having those relationships that I built uh, with my colleagues makes a huge difference. One of those relationships even have helped Clayton County um, to be able to get the $45 million as a stopgap because we could no longer collect um, the jet fuel tax sales, uh, sales tax from the jet fuel tax that was jet fuel that was sold at Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson Airport. And so it was going to cost about $20 million uh, each year to the taxpayers. And because of the relationship I had built with Governor Deal uh, over the years, I was able to go in and talk to him about what Clayton County needed. And as a result, we were able to get the $45 million as a grant. No, we didn't have, don't have to pay it back. And other counties that were affected by the same issue were able to get additional, were able to get grant money as well. So it wasn't just Clayton County, I think it was like seven other counties. Uh, that were able to benefit. So that goes back to what I was talking about, relationship. So relationships are very important. Um, and then keeping your word on something. One thing they know and all I'm respected for at the state capitol is that when I give my word and I'm firm on what I believe I'm standing on, even if I stand by myself, I will stand mm. by myself because I believe that much in what I'm fighting for. And that's some amazing qualities to have right there. And just to know that somebody is running for the Senate seat with those principles in the forefront, that right there is something that I definitely take to heart as I take that to the polls. As, and for those who are listening, she strives to make Georgia the best place to live through economic development, 
education transformation and voter empowerment. Now, someone had uh, requested for me to re-ask the question that I asked earlier. What plans would you like to implement for our youth between the ages of 13 through 30, educational-wise and things of that nature? Could you please reiterate that one more time for me? Yes. Um, so definitely ensuring that our high school students, when they graduate, that they graduate with a certification in a trade. There are many programs that we have. We have apprenticeship programs. Um, that are good. We have a dual enrollment uh, program that is uh, that's outstanding that I've supported uh, each year being, since being elected. Uh, and it's important because we want to make sure that you as, uh, as young people are able to start and go into society on, the, on a positive note and not on a negative note with not having so much debt that you have to pay back as, you know, with your student loan. And so also, you know, open up additional internship opportunities for our young people. One thing that I've noticed when working with, uh, with the youth is that uh, many of them don't know what type of career they want to go into. And the wrong time to, to decide that is when you get to your four-year college because mm -hmm. you end up changing your, your major that costs more money. So if we can have programs that will work on career development and exposure, and that's what I've noticed a lot even in some of our schools, the kids, unless you have someone in a particular industry in your immediate family, you don't know anything about that industry. And if the school system is not providing that information and educating you on it, you're not going to know what other um, opportunities there are out there. So that's why internships, uh, I'll be, it's another uh, opportunity that I'll be pushing for um, as well. And then if for the um, college students, like I said, is uh, making sure that even right now we have this issue with your financial aid that um, you can't claim yourself as an independent student unless you're uh, over, I think it's 25, you got to be at least 25 years or older. Well, our society has changed from their, their outdated policy. Many of our young people are becoming adults of being independent starting at 18 once they graduate from high school. Why should they have to go and try to find their parents to sign off on documents for them to be able to get their financial aid or to be able to be claimed as in-state students? So all of those things are, are what we have to be looking for, looking at and working towards um, those programs like that that's going to better empower our young people. That last part right there, now that was very beneficial because my younger brother was actually going through that right there because he aspires to go to college. But I was letting him know, like, uh, you know, it says that policy says by 25, you can claim yourself mm -hmm. as, a, as an independent. So just knowing that right there, that's a part of the plan. That right there is amazing. Now, somebody else had also sent the question in um, regarding how this pandemic has basically taken away. Um, a lot of people who had nine to five jobs, they really have not been able to go to work and things like that. They wanted to know if you had any plans for um, entrepreneurs or those who are starting their own businesses. Uh, definitely. Um, we have a small business development centers that are open across uh, on every four-year college campus. And of course, you can't physically go there. So online, you can definitely Google small business development centers. These are paid for through SBA. And, uh, and so there are free services that provide to people who are either in business already or plan on going into business. And it's very important. This is an opportune time, even though it's a tragic that we're going through with the pandemic. But in every tragedy, there's also an opportunity. And one thing about entrepreneurs, they know how to find opportunities in the most um, 
strangest, strange, op, strange areas. And yes. so looking at how do you, and that's entrepreneur, you want to start a business where you find a solution. So you see where, oh, you know, a person needed this, it wasn't available. I'm going to start my business. And but what needs to happen so that those businesses can continue beyond that three year span, because most businesses, you know, they if they're able to uh, to uh, remain open past three years and they got a good chance of being successful. But most of them end up closing, especially during the pandemic. So it's very important to have that support base that's there. That's one of the things I'll be fighting for when I talked about uh, support for small business growth is if you want to be an entrepreneur, we need to make sure we're supporting you because eventually you're going to be the employer to be able to employ people in the community to make sure that they are able to work. But we have to make sure that you have all the tools and the support you need, whether that's through uh, funding uh, opportunities, whether that's through uh, making sure that you're setting up your business the correct way. We're going through the Secretary of State um, with the IRS, all those things that are important for you to be a successful business. And then what opportunities are available for government contracts? Many of the entrepreneurs don't know anything about those opportunities that are there. That's definitely true. <laughs> that is definitely true. Like I, my mind was blown with how much resources do we at, that is actually out there to help entrepreneurs that we don't even know about. Mm -hmm. And making that available, um, that is definitely something that is necessary for our community, especially for the up and coming entrepreneurs. Now, another question that we have was where could they find this information like um, for a website or things of that nature? Where could they find this information? So if you Google small business development centers and um, Georgia, Georgia small business development centers, and you'll get a whole list of the take it to the website. They have, they have actually online webinars uh, that they've been hosting even since the pandemic started um, for you to be able to get that information. And uh, so that's, a, you know, one of the best ways I can tell you to contact them. And then wherever you live at, contact your local um, city or county because they have a small business uh, department as well. And ask them what incentives and programs and things that they have available to be able to support. Remember, a large bulk of the money, taxpayer money that local government receive come from small businesses. So it's imperative for local governments to ensure that those small business. Uh -oh. uh oh, I'm sorry. I had, <laughs> yeah, it kind of went out right quick. What was the last part that you had said? I'm sorry. Um, I was saying that to check with your local uh, government, your local city and counties and school systems as well. You know, they have opportunities, especially local city and counties. They have a uh, business office and they may have a lot of incentives that they're able to offer. Uh, even now, would you wanted to open your business or expand it? And some of them are giving out grants to be able to help support um, the expansion of your small business and sustain it. Because that's where the bulk of that, your um, the taxpayers' money that they collect are from small businesses that are operating in their communities. That is amazing right there. Now we have a couple of more minutes left in this show. I am completely honored and humbled and appreciative to have you on the show as a guest. Well, eight minutes exactly. <laughs> so um, how can people get in contact with you or things of that nature? Um, go to my website, gostoball.com. That's G O 
S-T-O-V-A-L-L.com. I'm on social media uh, platforms. I'm on Facebook at Valencia Stovall GA. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, um, Instagram at Valencia Stovall. And so definitely, you know, research more about the things I've done. One thing about behavior, behavior repeats itself. And mm -hmm. so if I've been good, a good steward, when it came down to my district and district 74, and as a state representative, I'm going to repeat that same behavior in Washington, D.C. as your next U.S. Senator. So definitely we need your support. I need your votes. I need your prayers. And also we need donations. So, you know, a campaign has to have those donations to be able to run those ads. Um, like you might see on, on TV, many people say, I haven't seen you on TV. Hey, we got to have those donations in there. And it doesn't matter what amount that you want to give. You can give at GoStoball.com. Every, uh, every Friday, I do a Facebook Live talking about issues. I just talked about evictions, rental assistance, uh, financial services, and employment um, on yesterday. Next Friday, we'll be talking about police uh, and safety officers. What are they going through now with COVID-19 and racial relations? And what type of policies will have to change um, locally and state and on federal to be able to make it better for, um, for us to be able to trust and many people to be able to trust um, that our public safety officers are there for our true safety. Thank you so much for speaking out on those issues right there. Everybody, I hope that you all take that information, follow her on the social media links, and definitely tune in to the Facebook Lives so that way we can all understand the different perspectives that people see are um, presenting and going through during these times right here, because we're all going through it. For some of us, it is new. Some of us, it's mentally taxing. Some of us, we're coming up with plans in different creative ways to utilize our gifts to help contribute to creating a better tomorrow today. Now, November 3rd, yes. please go out and vote. And final question for you, can you please reiterate the importance of voting? Yes. Uh, voting, your vote is important because it determines what policies are going to be implemented to be to affect you positively or negatively. One way or the other, you're going to be affected. So you want to make sure that you're voting for someone that's going to be working and fighting for those positive results for, those, uh, for the policies that are put in place. One other thing I did want to mention, Ashton, is that this is a historical uh, election for me because um, when elected, I'd be the first black woman to be elected to the U.S. Senate seat from the state of Georgia and from any Southern state. We never wow. had a black woman, never had a black, but we definitely never had a black woman to represent, represent us in um, Washington, D.C. And I also be the 11th African-American in the United States to, be, uh, to serve in the Senate. We've only had 10 African-Americans to serve in the U.S. Senate, which is very sad because you think about the uh, importance of that U.S. Senate um, seat and determining who that the judges are going to be, those lifetime judges are going to be um, in other executive uh, positions. And there's no representation of us uh, in that Senate seat. And there are only two senators from each state. Um, so it's a total of 100 senators that are able to make those decisions. And so would you all support and help in making sure you're voting early? Don't wait till November 3rd. Vote early. I can be able to be your senator um, and help me to make history in the state of Georgia. 
Valencia Stovall, an incredible woman that strives to make Georgia the best place to live, work, and play through economic development, education transformation, and voter empowerment. I thank you so much for being a guest on the Millennial Talk 2.0 Bless Coast Edition. It has definitely been an honor to interview you. We have five, we have two more minutes. So what are some words of encouragement that you would like to leave for the young listeners today? Stovall, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Well, everybody, I have definitely had a wonderful time interviewing Miss Valencia Stovall. And I pray that this interview right here was a blessing and also help you get to know exactly who she is. So when you go to those polls, you know, say that slogan one more time. Stovall, that's all. Hey, that's all you need to know. <laughs> so everybody, I thank you for tuning in to another episode of the WCEG Network, Millennial Talk 2.0 Blessed Coast Edition. This is I, the homie, the one and only Ashton Reynolds. My special guest, Valencia Stovall, we are signing out. Thank y'all so much, and I'll see y'all next time. <laughs>